Well, I'm excited to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again here in South Florida, our Kendall campus, our Gables campus, our Church Online campus, all those who are joining us via social media right now and the live streaming across the nation, around the world. And here's what I know. You know, some of us are in the middle of trouble right now. Some of us are just coming out of some kind of trouble right now. And guess what? That means some of us are getting ready to enter into some trouble right now. And we are praying that you would sense the power and presence of God to meet you wherever you are and then lift you to that next level. So one of the things we haven't done yet is in 2020 kind of put it on notice that our declaration of faith is that nothing is too hard for God. So I would love for us to do this. Wherever you're making your connection with us, we're going to you know, sit up straight, take a deep breath, turn the volume up to 11, and repeat after me. Nothing is too hard for God. Amen. Okay, now we're going to do that three times, and we're all going to do it together. I'm not going to prompt you again. We're just going to do it together. One for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. Okay? Got us covered in a brand new year. Ready? Nothing is too hard for God. For the Father. Nothing is too hard for God. For the Son. Nothing is too hard for the Son. The Holy Spirit. And now may his spirit meet you wherever you're making your connection and then lift you and teach you for the days ahead. Our series has been uh, Songs to Live By. And today's song to live by is for everyone who has ever loved. Everyone who's ever loved and lost, who's loved and hurt, who's loved and succeeded. This is for everyone who's ever loved. Loved, loved your work. Loved life, loved somebody, everybody who has ever loved and everybody and anybody who knows the pain that only love can bring. Is that you? C.S. Lewis wrote one time, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. And then he goes on. If you want to make sure to keep your heart intact, give it to no one, not even an animal. I mean, just wrap it around carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. And, uh, and yet in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will not be broken, but it will change. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. So he concludes, love means to love is to be vulnerable. Is that right? I mean, do you agree with that? Because if you do, love means vulnerability. What that means is love's going to hurt Love involves pain. Love, if you live any length of time at all and pay attention, then here's what you're going to learn. Life is hard and love is costly. Life is hard and love is costly. And the love that gives our lives such meaning and such depth and such breadth and such thrill and excitement, I'm telling you, love is costly. And like we, like we say, it's complicated. It's complicated. Sometimes it's confusing. But that's also the message I find in Pat Benatar's song, Love is a Battlefield. You know, this song gave her her fourth Grammy Award, 
best female rock performance. It was top of the Billboard chart for a month, and it landed by VH1's, in VH1's top 100 songs of the 80s, it was number 30. Got any 80s kids here? Yeah, yeah, I know you're out there. I just didn't know if you'd admit it or not. But the lyrics are all about the pain and the heartache of love. How confusing it is. Check this out. We are strong. We are strong. No one can tell us where Nobody gonna tell me I'm wrong. Searching but searching our hearts for so long. Both of us know this. What? Love is a battlefield. Yeah, I know you know this song. That's so, I like that little, you know. Bing, bing, bing. We were strong. You know, and then the lyrics go on to say, you know, uh, am I trapped here or am I totally free? Do I stay or do I go? Am I so free that I'm free from demands and free from promises? Is that what love really is about? Or am I stuck and I got to, you know, it's a tough song. In a minor key. Minor key, but did you notice it has a real upbeat? That's interesting, isn't it? An upbeat song about pain and heartache. Welcome to the 80s. <laughs> oh, hey, how about this? Welcome to life. Welcome to life. Life is hard. Love is costly. And some days feel like your worst day ever. The psalm we're looking at today is about that. When life is hard, love is costly, and it feels like your worst day ever. You know the, the children's classic book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? You read this? Terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I'm not going to tell you the story, but Alexander is an 11-year-old who faces one calamity after another all through his day. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong, and it just keeps getting worse to the point that by day, he can't wait for the day to end and wishes that he could just go to Australia. That's the story of this horrible, terrible, no good very bad day, but you don't have to be 11 to have one of those. Though, I think I might have been 11 when I first learned another American classic called Worms. Do you know this? Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. Long ones, skinny ones, short ones, fat ones, the kind that wiggle and squirm. Bite their heads off, suck their juice out. Throw the skins away. Nobody knows how I'm going to live on worms three times a day. It's a song of lament. My life. Ah! It's one of those. It's like this no good, very bad day. It's like you don't have to be a kid to know what that feels like. What it, what it feels like when you feel like you're just being rejected, when stuff is coming in on you, and, and you're having your worst day ever. And it doesn't just happen to kids, you know. When you grow up and you take on larger life responsibilities, even responsibilities for things you love. You love your family. You love your work. You love your life. And, and you take it out. You truly, sincerely love these things. But the heartache and the loss feels even more significant. To the point that some grown-up days feel like you're in a battlefield. 
And it's all coming in. It's all coming down on you, right? A battlefield where you're even feeling sometimes a God-sized rejection. God-forsaken is the word the Bible uses for days like that. Like Fantine singing in Les Mis, you know, I, I dreamed this dream when I was younger about how my life was going to be different from the hell that I'm living right now. I dreamed that people were kind, that God was forgiving, but now it's so different from since life killed the dream I dreamed. What do you do on dream killer days? That's what Psalm 22 is about. It's a page right from the journal of a king in confusion, a king who loves his people. He loves his kingdom. He loves his work. He, he loves knowing that he's doing the will of God. That's how he even got in the position he's in. But somehow he's been depleted, and now he's even despairing in the place with the people that he loves. It's become a battlefield. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. I cry out by night, and I find no rest. In other words, 24-7, he's just been launching them. But I'm in trouble. I'm crying out. Where are you, God? And I feel like you're nowhere to be found. You're not paying attention. Now, we don't know what was going on in David's life. We're not told in the psalm. But what we do know from the story of his life is he, had, he could have had plenty of days in his life where he felt like this. One of them, perhaps, when Saul was literally out to kill him, had him on his most wanted list to be dead, and David was running as a fugitive for his life, hiding in caves. It could have been one of those. Or it could have been when his son Absalom, handsome, strong Absalom, usurps, wants to try to usurp the throne and steal the kingdom. I mean, David's own family, his own flesh and blood is turning against him. Could have been one of those days. Or it could have been when, you know, he wanted to build a temple in Jerusalem for God, but God said no. That might have felt kind of God-forsaken place. We don't know what caused the crisis that he's feeling and listen, I don't know what causes the crisis that you're feeling right now. Maybe some of you find yourself in a place like that and you're wondering too. But what we do know is uh, how he feels about it. That's what this song is about. Verse 6, I'm a worm. I feel, you know, I feel like a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned. I'm despised. I'm rejected. I'm mocked. I'm insulted. People, people are happy to leave me in my God-forsaken place, and they get all sanctimonious, and they sound all religious about it, you know. He trusts the Lord. Let the Lord save him. Let the Lord rescue him. He's not my problem. Leadership can be a lonely place sometimes. Leaders know this. Sometimes leaders have to make decisions that are not always understood or received by others, and they don't always have the luxury of explaining. It. And even if people did understand the decision was made, doesn't mean they're going to agree with it. So it, it could have been out of something like that as a leader that he's thinking about. Sometimes opposition, I mean, it's real opposition. Opposition is jealous. And so that's where the rejection comes from, or wants power and authority for themselves. And so this leader is feeling opposition. So what's a leader to do? What can you do when you feel the world or others in it would really love to see you fall? 
And they just would love to see you tank. What do you do? Because that's his situation. Psalm 22 flows in three part, in three paths, charting out the path to navigate life's worst days. There's the plight, what I'm calling the plight, verses 1 through 18. The plan, 19 through 21. Okay, what's the plan? If this is the mess we're in, what do we do next? And then there's the promise. Like, okay, what am I seeing in the future? Because you're going to see something bubble up here. And we've already seen the plight, verse 12. He's, uh, he's got external opposition. He speaks about them metaphorically. Bulls with horns are surrounding me and closing in. And then verse 13, there are lions that have their teeth wide open to rip my flesh apart. You know, they're coming in to take their pound of flesh. Verse 14, I feel like I'm being poured out like water, like my joints. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax is just melting in, inside me. Poetic ways of saying, man, I got opposition coming in me, at me from the outside. On the inside, I feel like I'm imploding. I'm just collapsing. And then he's got physical symptoms. My mouth is so dry, you know, my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. Dehydration, insomnia. Verse 15, he tells God, you know, I just feel like you've laid me in the dust of death. You know the saying, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. He's saying, God, you, you got me on my way out? Is that what's happening? Maybe I'm dying. Verse 16, dogs surround me. These barking dogs like this pack of predator scavengers. They're moving in on me and trying to pierce my hands and pierce my feet. And people are staring and they're gloating at me. Verse 18, they've taken my clothes and they're, they're making me sport turning it into some kind of game of my loss. This guy's having a bad day. That's what we're supposed to see. Horrible, terrible, very, very bad, no good day. And then he says this, God letting this happen? And then he turns it, oh, God, are you making this happen? You ever had a thought like that? If God's letting this happen to me, Maybe God's making it happen to me. Then what do you do? Putting my face in the dirt. So what's the plan? If that's the, uh, if that's the plight, what's the plan? Well, you bail on God, right? You quit believing. That's what people do. They say, man, I got a God like that. I, I don't need a God like that. So they, they quit believing. They get mad at God. They quit believing. They stop worshiping, all that, you know. What does he do? No, he doesn't do that. Wrong. He, it's like he, he takes a lesson out of the book of Job. Story of Job, this wealthy, well-resourced, successful, influential man of reputation. Story of Job starts losing everything. He lost his family. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his reputation. His so-called friends totally misunderstand what he's going through. And so he's feeling like isolated in that, and yet he still says, Job 13, verse 15, though he slay me, if God, if you're doing this, then I'm still going to trust you. I still trust you. That's David's decision too. In Psalm 22, verse 9, you gave me life. You know, I've trusted you all my life. I'm not going to stop now. Verse 9, 11, don't be far from me. You can feel him kind of vacillating. You know, I'm not going to stop, but I'm going to need you to show up. Verse 19, God, Lord, don't be far from me. You're my strength, so come quickly to me. 
Deliver me, rescue me, the psalm goes on. Save me from the swords of people. Save me from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the bull. He just itemizes his opposition again and says, God, you know, it's coming in in case you haven't seen it. That's the plight that he's in. My take is that the plight of the human life is summarized in verse 11. The Lord is near and there's no one to help. I mean, trouble is near. Excuse me, I misquoted. Trouble is near and there's no one to help. Would you say that with me? Trouble is near and there's no one to help. This is a very human feeling, isn't it? That's at the heart of his plight. So what's the plan? Well, here's what he says. I'm going to pray and trust God's protecting presence against every opposing force. That's my plan. I'm going to trust God to rescue me in his time. It's not on my time schedule, but I'm going to wait on God. Now, this may not be what you want to hear, but you can do that too. If you feel like you're in one of those worst, no good, very bad days, then you can wait on God to show up. You can trust God and ask him to show up. But that's what he's saying. On your worst day ever, when it feels like your soul is dying and your heart is melting and your God is nowhere to be found, or God might be messing with you, so it won't feel like you can trust him. But you can still do it. And that will introduce you to something called the promise in the story. Because that's where he turns next. The plight, I feel God forsaken. The plan, I'm going to trust God anyway. I'm not going to bail. I'm not going to quit. The promise, God's going to answer my prayers and he's going to use me to help somebody else. In their plight. So, and then the rest of the psalm basically unpacks it. It says, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody about how God came through for me. I'm going to tell how he heard my cry, how he gave me new praise, and I'm going to let others know at the great assembly, you know, the place where people go to worship, I'm going to show up at worship, and I'm going to voice my, I'm going to declare my praise, and then he says, and I'm going to fulfill my vows. What does that mean? He's not going to stop tithing just because he's upset with God. Somebody at the place of worship. I'm not just going to speak my praise. I'm going to show up with my vows. And then guess what happens? As a result, verse 27, he says, And I see all the ends of the earth turning to the Lord. Now this is like, what? Families of nations will worship, rich and poor. All of them are going to find hope in God's righteousness. Verse 31, even those yet to be born. They're going to know that God is their hope. This is like, what a spectacular vision. Where did that come from? You know, he was doing the things he loved. It turned into a battlefield. And then he said, you know what? I'm just going to keep holding on and trusting God. And then he's going to come through for me. Something was rising in his heart in the middle of that turn. You know, what's happened now, David, uh, from the dungeon of despair, is now lifting off into this new hope of a vision yet to be. His circumstances haven't changed yet, but something inside him has changed. He doesn't feel like he's dying now. He, he feels like he's alive and pulsing with such passion that the life in him is large enough to change the whole world. Is that something? 
the spiritual impact of what prayer is doing in him. All because, now where did it come from? Note this, all because he, he held on and trusted God all the way through his worst day ever. Hold on. What's the message for us? Hold on and trust God all the way through your worst day ever. You won't feel like doing it. You won't feel like you can do it, but you can do it. Not by your own strength. We share each other. We help each other. We speak our truth. We share our pain, but then we hold on when life is hard and love is a battlefield. You know what you got to do? You got to hold on and trust God all the way through your worst day ever. Love makes you vulnerable. So the choice there is, I don't want to hurt, then I'm just going to wall up. And then you distance yourself from the potential connection that gives life meaning. Or you say, I'm hurting so bad that I'm just going to go hurt somebody. And then it makes it even worse. David says, I'm not choosing either of those. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just keep on holding on, even though love is a battlefield and Loving others means that I'm going to hurt, then I'm just going to take love to the next level and keep on trusting and keep on loving until God takes me all the way through the pain and the heartache to the hope on the other side. So here's the, here's the point, I think. Love is a battlefield, which means life is hard and love, uh, leadership is tough. Relationships take work. Parenting children is challenging. This is not easy. Keeping your family together, this is tough sometimes. Loving your spouse in a way that engenders life and hope. Man, this is t- life is hard. Love is tough. It's costly. Keeping your family together, providing, protecting for your loved ones. This is stuff that gives life meaning. Doing life is hard. Loving is costly. But it's worth it. David concludes that even my scars can be signs of hope and healing of the victory of trust based on love that just keeps me at it until love wins. Now, let me ask you this. Maybe you've already recognized the first words of the of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who said those? Jesus. Where was he when he said them? On the cross. When did he say them? When, as he was being crucified. I mean, it was happening at the time of the seven last sayings of Jesus from the cross. This is number four. It's right in the middle of his last words. The worst day of his life. Living had never yet been this hard. And it was hard. Loving had never yet been this costly. It's known as the cry of dereliction. To be left derelict is to be abandoned in a shameful neglect. And he says, I feel forsaken. Jesus knows what it feels like to be God forsaken. In many ways, that's an unspeakable thought. Let's don't just rush through that. But it's uncanny when you compare this psalm with what the eyewitnesses around the crucifixion that day say they saw. They saw agony from the suffering servant. 
they saw evil men casting lots and gambling with the clothes that they stole from him. They saw people mocking and hurling insults, especially sanctimonious, self-righteous people who were saying, oh, he said he'd trust God, then let God rescue him. Almost verbatim what Psalm 22 verse 8 says. And then they pierced his hands and his feet on the cross that day, just like Psalm 22 says. Now what's all the more amazing is that this psalm that we see being acted out before our eyes on the cross of Jesus was written 1,000 years before Jesus was even born. And listen to this, 500 years before crucifixion was invented. Sit down with Psalm 22 and sit in that for a while. The first historical record of crucifixion was 519 B.C. when Darius of Persia says he crucified 3,000 political opponents of Babylon. Greek historian Herodotus says the Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it. It was the most obscene, disgraceful, horrific form of execution known to man, designed for excruciating agony, extreme humiliation, and then a very slow and pain-filled public death, right to the last gasp. The Romans used it regularly to inform all potential political opponents as to the brute strength of their iron fist with which they would crush the opposition. And yet Jesus, the eyewitnesses, those closest to him, they said Jesus went willingly. Why? For love. That's what they say. John, one of the closest disciples to him, recorded in his memoirs about that day, no one takes my life from me. I give it up willingly. That was the day on the cross is when Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Incarnate God the Son knows in personal human experience what it feels like to be disintegrated from God the Father. And yet he says, I did it. Nobody has the power to take it from me. I'm going to lay it down. Why? John says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. God is saying, life is hard, love is costly, but it's worth it. So when you find yourself in the battlefield because of those you love, fight the good fight. Don't bail. Don't create more damage. Just take on the right enemy and love your way through. It's incredible. It's worth it. So Jesus says to all of his warriors, I got a new command for you. I have a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must now love one another. And by this, everybody is going to know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Now, so far, our songs to live by have shown us that um, living well requires making quality decisions, quality choices. That's Psalm 1. And there we learn, go God's way. As this new year begins, that's what we want to do. Go God's way. And then, last time we were together, we saw that living well requires quality companionship. And that was Psalm 139. Let God be your friend. Today, we learn that living well requires loving God's way. Which means, through the battlefield. 
all the way through the battlefield. <laughs> because life is hard and love is costly, but when you hold on and trust God all the way through to love through the battlefield, you'll discover that God's kind of love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. The cry of dereliction is where the song begins, but you know what? It ends with a declaration of God's glory, of God's praise, of God's life being shared with generations from every nation. And verse uh, 29 says, those who cannot keep themselves alive. That's why he went there. I believe that would be all of us. Am I right? Those who can't keep themselves alive. We can extend our days a little bit, but but somehow David the king was inspired to see that this kind of faith can push through and somebody is going to come out on the other side and for those who can't keep themselves alive, I'm going to bring hope and those yet to be born. What? Yeah, you really ought to sit down with God in an open Bible and an Old and New Testament, get right there together. And I think this is a word for all of us. Jesus wanted us to know something from that cry on the cross. I wonder if he wanted to pull some of us right back into Psalm 22. He didn't just say, why, God, are you treating me like this? He was taking us right into King David's worst day ever. And he's saying, when you get to your worst day ever, like I'm in my worst day ever right now, here's what I'm going to do. My plan is to trust God until he comes through. And on the other side, he will have heard my prayer. Life will spread globally. And other people who cannot keep themselves alive are going to find hope. Does that sound like any news you've ever heard? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the way he lived. It's the way he wants us to live. Especially if you're in a battlefield right now. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, this isn't even about me. Things are up and to the right. I'm on a good start. The year is off to bow. It's going to be great. Okay, can I tell you what the best way to live on your best day is? Love. <laughs> Same way to live on your worst day. You hold on and trust God's love all the way through, and that's the best way to live, even if it leaves you with some wounds that turned into scars, then those scars can bring hope for others. By the way, it's going to cost you. Love is going to hurt. It got Jesus crucified. But it also, look what happened, it also got him raised up, lifted him up on high, and from that high place, his spirit got poured out upon all of human history and every generation so that every tongue, every nation, every person would have their chance to let that living water flow right by them so that they could take a drink and say, wow, God loves me, and his life can now do something for me. Yes, it can, and not well, it won't stop there either. His life is going to keep on loving and keep on leading until finally one day, you know what? You will learn how to love that way. That's God's plan. If you've had your drink, good for you. But have you learned God's lesson? Share the cup. See through your battle and now help somebody else to find their way. That's what the writer of Hebrews says is the conclusion of his great work. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Lots of things need to be fixed in this world. One of them is where we fix our eyes. Fix our eyes on Jesus. 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Love endures all things. He held on and kept trusting through, all the way through, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Focus on him. Fix your eyes on him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Can I tell you, when I feel depressed, it feels like that. It feels like I'm weary and I'm losing heart. And he's saying, the writer of Psalms is saying, here's when you find yourself on one of those no good, very bad days, when you feel weary and lose heart and depression is setting in on you, remember this. The same letters that spell depression can be rearranged to say, I pressed on. Maybe that's where God wants to meet you today. To meet you with the power of his love that can give you the encouragement to just keep pressing on. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for loving us so much. You made us in your image You came to be one of us. You refused to let sin have the last word, to let evil have the last word. But you give us the power of this amazing love that can press on through the darkest, hardest days. And I'm praying for somebody right now who feels themselves there. They feel like you haven't been listening to their prayers. They feel like you may have even been causing the mess that they're in. And so they're being tempted just to bail. And yet, they're here, Lord. They're watching. They're online. They're they're seeking. And you promised that when we seek, we would find. So I'm praying right now for somebody to experience your love in a fresh, life-giving way that will restore hope and breathe encouragement into the hurt places. If that's you, sister, brother, would you receive God's healing right now? The healing of his spirit flowing from his son given by his father because God wants you to know you got this. You can press on through this. He may not change it right now, but he can change you in it and then use you to help somebody else. Would you receive that if that's for you? And then you know what? Perhaps somebody, this is your first opportunity that's like a light has come on in you and said, if that's how much God loves me, I already know how hard the world is, but I need resources to face it. Well, here it is. And right now, you can say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit. And I receive by grace the salvation you're giving. And I'm turning from my way to learn to go your way so that your life can flow through me. In Jesus' name. Now, our heads still bow just for a moment. But if you prayed that last prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, wherever you are, then would you, by uplifted hand, just say, pray for me, Pastor. We got Kindle Campus, our pastors watching, Gables Campus, likewise, online. You can let us pray for you now. Lord Jesus, for every uplifted hand, for every hungry heart, for every hurting place, where your healing is being welcomed, would you fill them with your spirit 
cause them to sense your presence. And we thank you for the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.